you um, pass a greetings from uh, Paul Kwane, South Africa, uh, the ministry that uh, uh, we are serving with. Um, we, we went there, we moved there with my wife, like, uh, I think in 2019. And uh, uh, I think one of the things that probably for people like you who are associated or partner with, like, anchors in, you know, you're involved in uh, ministering to all these other ministers all over the, uh, the world. And, and you kind of, you know, of course, you're investing in putting prayers through finance um, and most of the time, you, you don't get to see probably the actual fruit of what you are part of. Uh, but today, it's just one of that fruit that you are able to see with your own eyes. Uh, because I first went to uh, Christ Seminary, which is a ministry that Anchors has been involved, as Steve has already mentioned, for many years. <laughs> And as a young man who just needed, desperate to know how to teach the Bible accurately and to do ministry God's way. And I had never seen that before. And so I went to school there and they trained me. And one thing you need to understand is that Christ Seminary is able to give like a high level of a good biblical training uh, to people like me and others that cannot afford uh, to pay any of it. Uh, and they're able to do that because of your partnership. And so as you are involved with anchors, and you, you need to understand the veracity of the work that you're doing out. And uh, today is part of that fruit that you can see. And so I'm just so thankful on behalf of the Ministry of Christ Seminary, even Anchors, and we hope that uh, you'll be encouraged even this morning as we are together. Um, I, I, I would say I agree with Brother Layton that I'm, I'm from far, but I'm not going to preach far better than his sermon. And so, um, but I'm excited to be with you today. Um, before we get into the word, let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your kindness and that you are able to enable us to hear your word this morning. And I pray that you open our hearts and that Lord will be willing to hear what you have to say this morning. And thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We know many places they can't have this kind of opportunity, uh, at least in the open as it is right now, uh, to be able to get into your words with different restrictions. And some are going through persecutions, but we can freely be able to hear your word. And that means also, Lord, you ask of us and expect of us to obey. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I saw that Brother Layton has been going, I think, in John. So you probably have been in New Testament. So it would be by God's providence to just take you back into the Old Testament. So if you can, if you turn your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9. Now I'm going to draw your attention to a text that have captured my heart when I was reading through this book of Jeremiah. I remember I was with my wife and we were just doing our readings, number readings, and 
we decided to go through lamentations. And so I just sat down and said, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to appreciate lamentation unless we read through Jeremiah. So we went on that um, journey to read through Jeremiah. And one of the texts that stood out is the text that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And it will be in chapter 9 uh, of this book. Now, when you look at chapter 9, it's just a continuation uh, of Jeremiah's expressions of sorrow for his own people because uh, these are the people to whom God had sent. Uh, God had a word for the people of Judah and he would use Jeremiah as his messenger. So there was a word. And um, the context of that, what we see there, is especially where we are, it's, it's the text that we're going to be working through. It's within that context of Jeremiah uh, expressing his sorrow. And um, you can see clear, because it starts from uh, chapter 8. If you go to chapter 8, um, I think it's in verse 18. Look at how the tone of this section begins. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. And that is just an expression of a man who's going in intense of grief. And this is just the beginning and it goes on. And I think the question we have to ask is why? What has caused this kind of grief in Jeremiah's life? Well, when you look at there's two ways to look at what really has caused this grief. Number one is, again, that just helps us to just build context here, is that if you look at the condition of the nation, the condition of the nation of Judah, what is the condition? What's the status of Judah right now? What has really caused God to send Jeremiah to speak? Why the words that uh, Jeremiah was given to be that is we see in verse 8, 19, it tells us something. Eight, um, if you go in chapter 8, 19, it says there, Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? So right there we see this sense of practicing of idolatry that's happening. They're worshiping idols. And exactly what you go back to Exodus chapter 20, on those ten commandments, what's the first commandment that God issues? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. End it. This nation is completely outlawed, involved, preoccupied, serving the very thing that God had prohibited. That is the nation of Judah. And it goes more. If you look in chapter 9, verse 3, there, again, describing the status of the nation. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. 
For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Escalation in wickedness. Progressively going wicked. And that's the status. If you look at chapter 8, verse 5, you see something else there. When, why then has the people turned away and perpetual backsliding? So they continually are backsliding, going, uh, running away from God. And in uh, verses 6 and 7, it continues, says, I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, so no man repents. They keep on going worse and worse in their deep and deep in their sin. No man is ever repenting. What have I done? Everyone tends to his own course like a, a horse plunging headlong into the battle. That's kind of the language, by, uh, the language that we see in what? In Judges, where everybody does their own thing. That's kind of what's happening here. Even the stalk in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove, swallows, and crane keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. So that's the condition. What you see that they are indifferent to knowing God. They have no whatsoever desire to know God. They're pursuing their own desires. So that's the condition. But there's something else that would arouse this kind of grief. And that's, we see the judgment of the nation that's just pronounced there. The condition of these people that we just looked at, and I think there's even more if you read the whole book of Jeremiah that you can see. This condition necessitates judgment. That's just how God works. And... um, in chapter 8, verse 17, it gives us a sneak peek what kind of judgment will they be facing. And 17, it says, says, For behold, I am sending among you serpents, artists that cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you. Now, when you think of or hear serpent, what comes into mind? As the serpent we saw in Numbers chapter 21, when the people of Israel sinned and God sent the serpents, the fairy serpents. And what happened? God, when Moses pleaded with God, God told Moses to set up this bronze serpent so that if you look to that serpent, guess what? You get healed. That was the case then. But what is unique about this serpent now is that there is no whatsoever antidote. That's how he plans, that's how he designs this kind of judgment. As I said, there will be no charm to these serpents. The status of the nation, the nature of the judgment... Jeremiah sees it, he can't help but run into grief. 
This is what has brought about this graph that we are seeing here. And then we see in chapter 9, verse 11, talks about destruction of Jerusalem. That's another big one. Because destruction of Jerusalem, guess what it means? The temple's gone. So the text we're looking at is waged in this context. When we are looking at this text, because I'm emphasizing this because this text, uh, which is verse 23, 24, uh, 23, 24, um, they are normally, they, when you read, sometimes they feel like they're out of space because of what he's talking about. But when you look at the context, they are completely connected to what's going on around. So this is where we find ourselves. The status of the nation, very wicked. I mean, that's not new. You know, we look at our world today and we are like so you know, desperate to see how wicked it's gone. It's progressively evil. Wow, that's not new. Uh, it's been there before. Probably even worse. Look in Judges. And Jeremiah's dealing with the same thing here. And this... Chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, that's where I want us to be. I will read all of those texts for us. It says there, remember the context? That says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, Bust in this, that he, know, he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, look there. As you look at it, the focus in those texts is the word bust. Bust. Repeated four times in those two words. It just can't, our eyes can't just, you know, not be drawn to that. It's just come straight to us. And the word itself there, uh, if, it's it's, it's a, if it's translated from Hebrew language, it, it, it's the word that, you know, we normally are familiar with. That's kind of which we use always, hallelujah. That's that word itself, busting. And now, I think for the most part, you know, we use Boston and the word. It has a very negative connotation. But here, the idea of Boston has the idea of praises and glory. And the Bible itself, when it uses this word, can be used in two ways. One, it can be used in a negative sense, or it can be used in a positive sense. Like, for example... In chapter in Proverbs chapter twenty seven and verses one through two, it says that do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So there you see the writer condemning boasting about future. So that word is used in a very negative sense. And 
Psalms chapter 97, verse 7 says, The psalmist says there, All worshippers of image are to put um, are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Again, we see there the psalmist exposing the futility of boasting in worthless idols. But the Bible at the same time uses this word in a positive. We just look at uh, one or a couple of verses that helps us see that says that. And uh, like Psalms chapter 34, verse 2, it says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Notice this, verse 2. My soul boasts. Or my soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. You see it again in chapter Psalm 64, verse 10. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright and heart exult, boast, glory. So what you see there that the Bible can use this word in any way. And what's so fascinating about this is that when you look at the text we're looking at today, it has both usages here. And there's something that it's going to help us to learn from it. So as you see this, as it's used by the Bible, you notice that Boasting in itself essentially is not the problem. The problem is the grounds in which one's boasts. The basis of boasting is what determines what kind of boasting are you practicing. And Jeremiah here shows us that there is an acceptable boasting and detestable boasting. And it all depends on the grounds in which one's boast. And the challenge for you and I is that we are inclined to boast in what is detestable rather than in what God approves. So, let's look at these two usages used here. The text here presents two conflicting grounds of boasting. One is criticized and the other is approved. One is prohibited and the one is permitted. The first we see here is that uh, beginning on the first grounds of boasting is God condemns man-centered boasting in verse 23. This is the first boasting that Jeremiah shows us. is the man-centered boasting and God condemns it. God condemns man-centered boasting. Let's look at verse 23. It says, Let no one let no man no wise man boasts in his wisdom. Let not the mighty, uh, mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So, when you look at how it is written here, 
Look at the focus. It is man's wisdom because it is his wisdom. Do not boast in man's wisdom. Do not boast in man's strength or in man's riches. As much as boasting is exhorted among us to do so, this is not the kind of boasting. And when you look at this, especially look at, if I draw attention to the wisdom. Now, wisdom is something that we all want. We pray for it. And God wants us to be wise. And why shouldn't we glory in wisdom? Well, in here, it's because the kind of wisdom that these people are busting in is not the kind God approves. And look at me. The word itself, wisdom, there has the uh, notion of the ability to judge. And this kind of wisdom of the ability to judge what's right and what's wrong comes from understanding God's truth. And this is basically God's wisdom. But man's wisdom clashes against God's wisdom. And that is, I guess, Apostle Paul even just mentions this a lot. We see that. What man's wisdom do, as we're going to see here, it undermines God's truth and it questions the trustworthiness of his word. And one of the heaviest tasks that Jeremiah had was combating these false prophets who were relentlessly questioning God's truth. Like say, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 4, Jeremiah warns the people of Judah. What does he, he tells them? He says, do not trust in these deceptive words. What deceptive words? Well, it is the word that contended with God's message of the temples of destruction. In chapter 7, verse uh, 11, there, when you go quickly there. Chapter 7, verses 11. Uh, what you see there, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in our eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people, Israel. So, here you go. God speaks through Jeremiah. I am going to destroy this temple. The false prophets comes around. They say, no ways. There's no way you can destroy this temple. This is the temple of the Lord. So they were questioning God's authentic words. And Jeremiah strongly Reminds them and says, this is not going to be the first time he did that, guys. Remember in Samuel chapter 1 or through chapter 4, where he did destroy his temple at Shiloh. 
when the Philistines came and they took the ark. And what happened in those days? People trusted in that ark. And that's why they didn't listen to Samuel. Because remember there was a transition of, uh, of, of, of priestly and prophet. Because for a long time we heard there was no word. And then Samuel came in. God started using Samuel as his prophet. But people did not really regard Samuel as the prophet. So they continued to look to the ark. So they go to the wall, instead of concerning the prophet, what do they do? They just go grab the ark. Yeah. It never helped them. So Jeremiah takes the book to remember, guys, this has happened before. So certainly God will do, but, you know, see, God's man's wisdom, man's wisdom clashes with Christ and it questions the trustworthiness of God. And so this is the wisdom that these people are busting in. Another example in H verse 10, we see there that the prophets disputed God's judgment with their message, with fabricated peace where, you know, God says, I'm going to, you know, judge you and, and, and there's going to be judgment coming and pending on you. Guess what these people promised people? No, 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 no. There'll be peace. There'll be peace. So they give deceitful comfort to the people with questions uh, which questions God's message of impending doom. In v- chapter 5, 13, there it says, They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. You know, Jeremiah is busy telling God, Prepare your ways. God is coming and He's going to judge you. The false prophet comes, He's not going to do that. He's not going to destroy the temple and He's definitely not going to bring the judgment that you're hearing from Jeremiah. And here's what's so striking. And it is also heartbreaking that you can see even today. And this is that the people of Judah themselves loved and embraced these deceptive words. If you look at chapter, I think it's chapter 5, verse 30, it says, An appalling and a horrible thing has happened in the land. And what is that? The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests look at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? People are drawn to lies. And they love it. And rather grab to this lie than to the truth. Not something new. We are familiar with this. And you may be here that you are also walking in that road. Easily swayed by lies rather than engaging with the truth. This was the wisdom that these people were busting, full of lies. And Jeremiah tells them, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, because his wisdom is foolish. Because this wisdom contradicted with the very word of God. And as you see there, down there, yet 
These people claim to be wise. That's what they say. And in Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 9, you can look later there. God denounces their false claim. He says, How could you say you are wise whilst rejecting the counsel of God? Proverbs 1 verse 7, very familiar verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. God's instructions were clear through Jeremiah, but people decided to follow man's wisdom. The only way to gain wisdom is to obey God's instruction, the very thing these people despise. And Jeremiah notices in verse 524, it says, They do not say in their heart, let us fear the Lord, the very thing that brings wisdom. So we see this is man's wisdom that refuses to hear the word of God, which generates true wisdom. And it is indeed worldly wisdom. And that's what these people are busting in Jeremiah says, guys, do not bust in your wisdom. Do not glory in the wisdom. Not only in wisdom, but also in strength, it says, might. It's all the things, the three essence that, uh, elements that he points out here. They're just things that are easily, um, um, easily desirable and easily swayed to. The word there, the mighty, has the idea of warriors or warriors with the ability to conquer. And in our context, it has a picture of a strong military defense system, which includes building um, and, and forts that they had there. Instead of looking to God for strength, they're looking to their fortified cities. But as we have looked at the context here, Whatever fortified city or special alliance, which it was also another thing that they could put their trust in instead of God, making alliances, will be of no help to the impending destruction that God has prepared for them. Something familiar also we see here is riches. Do not bust in, let rich man bust in his riches. Uh, and it's discredited to physical properties, you know, being worth or life of abundance. And look, all these bases, these are the bases that God is condemning. He's not condemning the rich. He's not condemning the strength. He's not condemning wisdom. He's condemning bases of boasting. If riches is the best for your boasting, for your glory, if wisdom is the best of your, for your glory, if strength is the best of your glory, or whatever is out there, that is heavily condemned by God. It's not something you can put your best for boasting in. Man's strength, man's wisdom, man's riches, or any other everything should never be the best of our bossing. Why? Because it is all transitory. The mindset 
what when we do that, what happens is that our mind is not putting life's value in proper perspective as these people were doing. Because remember, God is about to destroy everything. Everything that involves wisdom, that involves strength, that involves riches. Everything will be cleared. And I think when you read Lamentation, you get the picture for. And I think if these people had lived in Lamentation and feel it, and then life reversed back to where Jeremiah was speaking, maybe, I don't know, they could have understood better. But here's what made Jeremiah become a weeping prophet. He lived in the time where he saw this disobedient happening and he could see the destruction coming and he lived through that destruction. I mean, how painful can it be when you warn people and you see, it's like, you know, you're, you're on the island and you see the wave coming and you tell people, run for your life because the wave is coming and people are running straight into the wave. And you see it all. It was really a difficult ministry for Jeremiah. So as you see there, that Jeremiah had a heavy task. And that is what brought about this grief. Mourning. Which we'll see it even more further in Lamentation. Now looking back. He's mourning now for what is about to happen. But then he's going to mourn of what really has happened. All these elements that have been pointed out, these are watery things. Things that perish. You can't count on them. Wisdom, riches, strength are not bad in themselves. They can be great assets. But when we pursue and exchange the glory of God with these, then we find ourselves embracing that which is perishing. Uh, This is what Jeremiah's people had done. They exchanged the glory of God for what is unprofitable. And he says that in chapter 2 verse 11. The point is, all of this do not matter. It doesn't matter. Well, if all this don't matter, then what matters? That's what we find in the second basis that God, uh, that Jeremiah brings out. And this is that the God-centered boasting. God commands God-centered boasting. He condemns man-centered boasting. He commands God-centered boasting. Why? It is what matters. What matters is what God approves, not what man approves. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Now, notice the emphasis there is on understanding and knowing. This is expressed in contrast to what we have just seen. To those who refuse to know God, who think they're wise, 
that who are unable to follow his instruction. And places the focus on pursuing a deeper understanding and knowing a knowledge of God. Now understanding has the idea of seeing. It's like to have a mind open, to gain an insight, to make one wise, ironic, you know. You have the first people who are boasting in being wisdom, but they are denying the very thing that brings wisdom. But rather than focusing or pursuing this, this is what they are to be boasting. That is they ought to be obeying God. They need to be listening to what Jeremiah is saying and following that. And Jeremiah basically urges them, here's what you need to be boasting. At this time, a very critical time when things seem to be collapsing, you need to be pursuing God. Basically, that's his point. That which makes wise... And knowing itself has the idea of perceiving to be acquainted, to experience. Understanding and knowing God provides a proper source for true wisdom. So bust in the fact that you see and perceive who God is and what he does. That's what you need to be pursuing in contrast to the first kind of boasting, that is man-centered. This is something that's focus of God. That means this one it requires you because you know we always you know pray. I pray that prayer. I want to be wise. You know we pray. We can pray like for ages. We can pray every day, every meal, whatever. But if we don't do or follow what you know, the source of wisdom, we're not going to get wisdom because we know where wisdom is and the wisdom is the word of God and this is this. And if we don't spend time to hear God's instructions, then we're going to live like these people Jeremiah was speaking about. We're not going to get wisdom. How do you pursue wisdom? You read the scripture and you obey it. You hear the scripture and you obey it. They heard the scripture. They didn't have nothing to do with it. But they wanted wisdom. And Jeremiah says, no, no, no. This is what you need to be focusing on. Pursue this. That you understand. To understand requires spending time. If you want to understand somebody, you spend time with them. You don't just, you know, kind of virtually or magically get to know them. You spend time with them. Quality time is what helps you to know somebody. Uh, For those who are married, they thought they knew their spouse until they started spending time with them. That's just how it is. So who is God? God, he is God who exercise steadfast love. Steadfast love refers to loving kindness or God's loyal love, faithful love, mercy, and grace, all that. This character expresses his faithfulness to his covenant people who currently have failed to keep their part in that covenant. 
Yet, regardless of Judah's failure to keep his side of covenant, what does God do? God continues. God continues to remain faithful by showing his grace and mercy to this wicked nation. He warns them. That's grace. Because they don't deserve to be warned. They deserve punishment right away. And provide opportunity of repentance when they don't deserve it. He provides hope that they don't deserve it. That's how gracious, how loving, kind, steadfast so he is. And he's showing, look, you are living that who God is right now. But you're ignoring it. Who is God? He's a God who exercises justice. Justice refers to the idea that God vindicates the innocent and punishes the guilty. We see in Exodus chapter 34, 6, God declares that he will certainly punish the wicked. Now, God in preparing this punishment, this judgment for Israel, all that expresses his justice, just to his word. He is justice. And not only that, he's also a God who exercises righteousness. Righteousness refers to conforming to God's standard, basically. He has set forth his norm in his word. Nobody sets that standard. The church doesn't set the standard. The government doesn't set set the standard. Nobody sets the standards. Only God does that. And it cannot be altered. That's why we have to stick to what it says. And let that guide us where to go. Because God is righteous, he is able to execute justice perfectly. You know, you and I... You know, we, we feel a sense of wanting to give justice to things around. And if you examine how we do it, there is one thing normally that's left out that God has. And that's what we see here. You know what? His justice is different from us because it includes loving kindnesses. That's God's just when we are really wanting to give that justice in whatever environment, you know how we do it. <laughs> we just do it. No grace. But for God, as much as He's been violated so aggressively, so blindantly, yet He still patiently gives grace. And you know. All of us sitting here who have trusted in Christ Jesus have experienced that grace when we did not deserve it. When we deserved judgment, when it was, I, if I had given it, I would just give judgment. God says, okay, I'll give grace. And this is not just a God who is just, just he practices that. So we Experience, we see it. 
And notice where he does this. He does this, I love this verse in the end of this, uh, in the earth. He does that on the earth. Not just in the spiritual realm, but down here. That's why we have church, church of believers that have all the common factors. We all have fallen on the mercy of God. We have received that mercy, that grace right here. That's why after experiencing, seeing how the goodness of that grace, we are so passionate to see others out there experience the same thing. Whatever, whatever context it is. So all believers who experience God's steadfast love, justice and righteousness understand fully why it is a glorious thing to boast in such a great God. David understood and knew this truth. That is why he could shout in Psalm 34 verses 1 and 2, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes boast, makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Not in anything, but in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, let us not be consumed with the world. For all the things of the world must burn and perish at some point. Let our hearts be swept by the love of the true knowledge of God that brings wisdom, that brings true strength, that brings true riches. Let all earthly blessings be received, that we receive, lead us, uh, points us, not to ourselves, but to the one who giveth. Paul, as he concludes this letter in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, as opposed to those who were boasting in circumcision in the things of the earth, earthly things, boasting in the flesh which is worldly, he says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now here's the other part that is striking at the end of that 24. For in these things I delight, declares the road. Our duty or life is to pursue that which pleases God and not what pleases ourselves. The boast of the world is grounded in praising oneself uh, and self-indulgence and self-centeredness. But the boast of the righteous, which is the title of this message this morning, is grounded in the pleasures of God. What pleases God? Not what pleases me. Not what pleases that person. But what pleases God. That's the boast of the righteous. And these people that Jeremiah was speaking to were heavily overwhelmed, preoccupied by themselves. They didn't want God. 
But Jeremiah draws them attention. Focus on God. Focus on God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you can give us your word. And your word is very powerful. I pray that you will help us to really find glory in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.